Amen. What wonderful truths we got to sing this morning. We are continuing this week in our Behold series. We've been, uh, I guess, in this series for, this will be our sixth week. And uh, this series is, is all about how beholding, that is, seeing, thinking on, meditating on, setting our minds on the glory of God, His greatness, His majesty, all, everything that makes God beautiful, setting our mind on Him is our highest honor, our most pressing purpose, and our highest source of satisfaction. And that is true because God is most glorious. He is infinitely glorious, and beholding and enjoying His glory is what we as humans were created to do. Now, we, we, we established that over the first uh, few weeks, but then we saw that God has also lovingly given us ways, uh, methods, means through which we can behold His glory, through which we should intentionally seek to behold His glory. I think of uh, the spiritual disciplines, not, not to list them all, but some of those would be uh, reading on, and studying our Bibles, uh, praying to God, meditating on the truths of God, memorizing Scripture, singing as we've just done, uh, fellowship in community, even fasting and giving is a, a, a sort of way of beholding God's glory as we seek to do so. But then last week we learned the key to it all, didn't we? Last week was Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so we saw how beholding the glory of God is, is incomplete and maybe even dangerous for us if we don't keep the gospel of Jesus Christ in mind. The gospel that Jesus, God the Son, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, then died the death we all deserve and bore the wrath we had earned and, and accrued. That all fell on Jesus. The justice of God, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus. And Jesus does that in love. But then on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, showing his power, showing his victory over Satan's sin and death. And we said that that's so important to keep that gospel in mind, uh, because if, if we don't keep that in mind, then beholding the glory of God is actually terrifying, <laughs> because He will use His glory to crush us sinners who have rebelled against Him. In addition, to, to, to forget the gospel, to not keep it in mind, uh, it might be very easy to believe that this God is angry and mean. But when we see the gospel, we recognize that this glorious God of holiness and justice poured out that just wrath on his son so that we wouldn't have to bear it. In the gospel, we see this glorious God of infinite power use that power to free us from our bondage to sin. We see this glorious God of love who decides to love us even though we were unlovely and undeserving. And so, that, that would go with any of God's attributes, that as we think about what Jesus Christ has accomplished in the gospel, his, his substitution, his giving of life to us, and believing on that, 
have salvation, knowing that, thinking about that, multiplies, magnifies, intensifies the glory of God that we are able to behold. But this week, what I want to do is, is think in light of God's glory and in light of this gospel of Jesus Christ, what relationship, if any, is there between beholding the glory of God and obedience to God? What, what relationship is there? And uh, so if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15, if you haven't done that already. We've been in 2 Corinthians so far, and so I just found it um, helpful maybe to, to draw out some principles that show us this relationship between beholding and obeying God. Because I want you guys, this is, what, this is my desire, is not just to preach at you and, and give you facts. I want you to be able to walk out of this room more capable of beholding the glory of God. To, to be able to, to go and do this thing that is most satisfying and so we need to understand the relationship between this beholding and obeying God. So let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. I believe I have it up there for you. Paul says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one, namely Jesus, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I see a lot of obedience talk in that passage, and I even see this beholding the glory of God in this passage. And so that's what I want to show you today, this relationship. Uh, but before we dig in any further, let's, let's go before our great God and ask him to help us today. Father God, would you help us today from your word to understand this, this relationship between obeying you and beholding your all-satisfying glory? God, would you help us today to become people uh, who, who are able to behold your glory to the highest possible degree? Lord, and as we talk about obedience, I, I ask that even today, even during this sermon, you would give all of us the desire and the ability to, to put away sin and to put on righteousness, to confess and repent of, to turn away from these sinful patterns we might allow to remain in our lives, Lord, get rid of those, and then to pursue the things you have commanded us to do in obedience, Lord. God, would you help us to do this so that we're not only tasting the rancid taste of garbage, which we've become accustomed to, but that we would experience the savors of the meal you lay out before us in experiencing your glory. God, do this today by your, your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I like to ask questions like this uh, in my own life. You know, I just like to think, what, what is the relationship between the, the way we obey God, you know, obey His commands, the, the do-nots, the do's, the, the, 
uh, every law God has given, every command He's given us, and our ability to behold His glory and to find our satisfaction in Him. And so as I uh, kind of ran through this, this, uh, this topic of obedience, I, I came up with, with a few just general principles that, that I want to share with you that I think uh, may, may clarify things for us and may, um, again, help us as we move forward uh, as, as a body and as individuals who are seeking to behold, experience, and enjoy, and even to reflect the glory of God to those around us. So let me give you this, this first principle, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll see it here in this passage. Number one, beholding enables glad obedience. So beholding, that is beholding the glory of God, enables glad obedience. And so what I want to do here in just a, a moment is I want to show you that for any measure, even an iota, even a little teeny bit of actual obedience, and especially for glad obedience, it, it, it takes something outside of us to make that happen. It takes God revealing His glory to us, us beholding that glory, and then we are even capable, we are enabled to walk in obedience, even glad obedience. I see this uh, here in 1 Corinthians 5, um, especially there in verse 14 that we've just looked at. I'll, I'll go back for a moment. It says there at the beginning, For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. That's, that's an interesting thing to say, Paul. What, what do you mean by that? The love of Christ controls us. Or maybe your version says, compels us. I looked into that word, controls. In the Greek, it's uh, sinaiko. And the meaning is to press or push, to urge or compel so really, this is a word of, of motivating or encouraging someone to go in a particular way. So it's the love of Christ that, that motivates, that encourages Paul, and, and he says controls us, so Paul and these other Christians, to do what it is that they do. But what is it? Uh, that Paul, again, says, compels him, controls him, motivates him in this world. Well, we see there, the love of Christ. So the love of Christ is what controls him. I think about uh, what's going on here. I'm, I'm kind of maybe getting ahead of myself, but I just want to say it now. As we'll see in a moment, it is Christ who put his love on display and, and Christ is God, right? I hope we're all in agreement on that. So it is Christ revealing the glory of his love to sinful people that now motivates, encourages, pushes Paul and other believers to walk in glad obedience to God. The love of Christ controls us. Well, what is that love? We see it there in, uh, in the rest of the verse. It says, For the love of Christ control, co controls us because, so this is a causal statement, this is what's controlling him, the love that he's seeing, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what we see here, this is, uh, you could really go deep on this passage, deeper than I'm able to for our purposes today. But it says, one, that is Christ, died for all, therefore all have died. Wait, Paul, Paul has died? Wait, I missed something here. What's he talking about? He's not talking about his, his actual physical body has died. Well, then, then what's died with Christ? He's talking about his sin nature, this thing that, that holds him captive to sin, this bondage, this, this uh, uh, necessity to walk in sin and rebel against God. That is what has died. Again, we, too deep, but ever since Adam, we have all been born with a sin nature. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, that's part of the curse that we are all born uh, sinners, people who rebel against God. Well, Christ came, and the death that he died, we saw that last week on the cross, he died, or he has died for all, therefore all have died. But then we see, verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he not only uh, died and in him we die to sin, but he was raised from the dead. And in that resurrection, we now have new life. And this is a life that it says there that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is, that we could live for God, that we could obey God, that we could serve God. This is the love of Christ that controls these believers. The love of Christ controls us. This is God's love put on display. And this compels Paul. It controls him, motivates him to obedience. Now, there, there's just so much here uh, in this passage, but why is that such a great thing that we have died to ourselves, that we might no longer live for ourselves? I, I want to live for myself. No, that's your flesh. That's sin talking. That's, that's Satan, the deceiver talking. That's the deceitfulness of sin, that, that believing that living for ourselves will be the greatest good, will be the greatest joy we are wrong. And that's what we've been studying, right? That's, that's what we've been uh, studying this whole time in this Behold series, that, that it's, it's God's glory that brings us joy. It's serving God that will satisfy. And so that's what Christ has done. He's, he's freed us from that bondage, and he's empowered us to live for his sake. But here's, here's what I, I want to make sure I'm getting across here is that first point. Who moved first? What happened first? The obedience or the beholding, right? This is the classic question, which came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know how that, how that translates, but I will tell you the beholding, or you could say the revealing, God reveals his glory, then we behold that glory before we're even capable of obedience. In Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please him. To believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently 
seek him. So there has to be this beholding of God's glory, his greatness, that he exists. That, by the way, is next week, the glory of God's existence. That's not just saying the fact that he is, just like you are, (laughs) that, that he exists in all who he claims to be. Do you believe that? And believe that he rewards. So there's that this beholding that happens before the obedience, okay? And, and this, is, this is really important because um, we can sometimes fall into the trap of the Pharisees. I mean, unknowingly, the, the Pharisees felt like they could earn God's favor, earn his love, earn their own salvation. But Jesus says, uh, says this in, in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then they, this is these people questioning him, said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Or to be you know, obeying God and, and falling in this, uh, this path. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. The first act of true God-pleasing obedience you ever committed was trusting in Jesus. We have all been commanded to trust in Jesus for our salvation based on what he did on that cross, the substitutionary death, the giving of his righteousness to us, the resurrection from the dead. We believe in those things, and that is our first act of actual God-pleasing obedience. We may have uh, helped lots of, uh, you know, uh, little old ladies across the road who may have done all these nice things at the food kitchen, but none of that was actually God-glorifying until we trusted in Jesus. That was our first act of obedience. Uh, it says in Romans 14, uh, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Because it's, it's self-reliant, it's using our own wisdom, it's, it's in trying to enjoy ourselves, glorify ourselves, rather than God. And so, our first act of obedience ever was trusting in Jesus, His finished work. And that, again, is based on what God has done. Uh, John 6.44, that same chapter I just read from a moment ago, John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him what no one can come to jesus no one can trust in jesus for their salvation for their life unless the father who sent jesus draws him well how does god draw us he reveals his glory to us he demonstrates his glory to us most, most pointedly on the cross in the death of his son and resurrection of his son. He reveals his glory to us in all these ways. And not, not only just the words, not only just uh, the ideas, but he reveals it to our hearts. God reveals this glory to us. We behold it. And you know what we do? We don't say, ah, I don't want to be saved. I don't want that. Jesus. No, we're glad. We gladly obey. Father, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you bring me into your kingdom? Would you unite me with yourself? If you're new to the church, you're probably not using all of those words. But you get the idea. There's this gladness that I get salvation, though I am a sinner. There's a grief for sure over our sin, but there's this overflowing joy And so we're we're glad to obey Jesus in that first act 
of obedience that comes from beholding the glory of God that he has graciously revealed to us to draw us. This is a, a beautiful thing. But here's what we also need to know is that's just the beginning, right? You, you read, uh, Pastor Dave read from Ephesians uh, 8 verses, uh, or sorry, Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. And it's, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Then you come to verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is just the beginning. Because once we come into this relationship with God, once we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, all of a sudden we can see. We have new eyes, we have new ears, we have a new heart that beholds, that tastes, that can savor the glory of God. And from that flows more and more obedience in our lives. We see this principle elsewhere in the Bible. 1 John 4, 19-21, we all know this first verse. We love because we're so awesome? No, we love because he first loved us. So our obedience springs from, uh, from sorry, we love our obedience springs from beholding the glory of God and his love for us. But it goes on to say, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so there's this, this, this tight relationship between this beholding God's glory, being entranced by, in love with God's glory, and obeying. And this commandment is to love others. That's what we begin to do. We begin to seek not only our own interests, but also the interests of others. We begin to, to count others as, as uh, more worthy than ourselves. You say, well, that's just loving others. That's just one command. Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. By and large, uh, I think our, our sin problems uh, would, would be much smaller if we truly love those around us. Truly seek their best interests. Truly seek not to sin against them. Truly seek to encourage them. I think about our spouses. I think about our kids. I think about our neighbors, co-workers, friends, and even our enemies. We do pretty well sin-wise if we love one another. And we see here, we love because he first loved us. We behold the glory of his love for us, and we love others. If that's not enough for you, just seeing the love, we'll see a little more all-inclusive obedience here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I remember this is one of the first passages I ever memorized. Um, so this is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and this is after 11 chapters of putting the love, grace, and mercy of God on display in the way that he restores sinners to himself. And Paul says this, after those 11 chapters of putting God's glory on display, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
that is, therefore, based on everything I've just said, the mercies you've just seen of, uh, in these past chapters, the glory of God and his mercy towards you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So Paul is saying, I'm not just telling you to obey. I'm saying, based on the glory of God that you're beholding, now present your whole bodies, every single aspect, every moment of your life to God as a living sacrifice. Walk in obedience to Him. This is, I think, quite clear from the Bible. And I've, I've got so many more examples of Scripture I could give you. But it is the beholding of the glory of God that enables glad obedience. This obedience that comes from the heart. Again, and I want to I pound that in because this is going to come back later in the sermon. This is not obeying because you have to and then resenting God for it. Oh, I have to go do this. Oh, I don't get to do that. This is glad obedience that feels more like freedom than bondage. Romans 6, 17 says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. This is what happens when we behold the glory of God. It becomes a glad obedience. Now, there is a sense in which we simply obey God because we, we, we love Him and we're grateful for what He has done in the past. Okay, there, There's a very real sense in which we do that, but the Bible doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us there with, with simply obeying Him based on what He's done in the past. God also has us obey based on what will happen in the future, the, the future joys that come from obedience. So this is number two, if you're writing things down. Obeying empowers beholding. Obeying empowers more beholding of God. So we started with beholding enables obedience, this glad obedience. So this, we behold in order to obey. But now I'm telling you that it's also a true principle in the Bible that we obey in order to behold. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the beholding comes first, but then it becomes a glad cycle of beholding and obeying, which leads to more beholding, which leads to more obeying. This is what we see here. And I see Paul talks about this because he's th this love that is so powerful that it controls him was demonstrated in the fact that Christ frees us from the bondage to sin, to disobedience, to self, and he frees us to serve him, to, to serve him who for their sake died and was raised. This is a wonderful gift, I believe, in part, and he's seeing this as amazing love because of this relationship between obeying and it opening our eyes, it strengthening our ability to behold this all-satisfying, heart-enthralling glory of God. Let me show you this principle 
uh, more explicitly elsewhere in the Bible. I think of Paul's own testimony. I thought about running through Paul's whole testimony because he's a great example of this. Uh, the sin he had to lay down, the, the, the hard but glad obedience he had to pick up, right? I mean, his life was not easy, but it was obedient, and it was overflowing with joy. Um, he says here, though, in Philippians 3.8, the reason why he walked in obedience. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord means I'm going to leave those sins behind. I don't want them anymore. Paul's self-centered, self-righteousness that he, he had. I'm going to leave those things behind, and I'm going to pick up a, a heavy cross, if you will, a, a hard obedience. You think about shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, all these things happen to Paul, yet over and over again, I rejoice. I rejoice. I think even in, uh, let's see here. I won't worry about it. Paul had glad obedience, even though it was hard obedience, because obeying, empowered, beholding, I count everything of, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Matthew 5 kind of begins with the Beatitudes there, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's mercy from God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. All of those are forms of beholding and enjoying God. They will be satisfied. They will receive mercy. They will see God. And now I will say there is certainly a greater uh, future eternal dimension to these promises. There, there is. But I, I think we would be honestly a little crazy uh, not to think these promises and blessings are for here and now. You remember, believer, eternal life has already started. <laughs> so if these promises are for those with eternal life, we've already got that. We've already got eternal life in us. Jesus has given that to us. That's the life we now live. So who is it that will be satisfied? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who are those who will feel, experience the mercy of God? Blessed are the merciful, those who treat others with mercy. Who is it that will see God? Blessed are the pure in heart. We behold the glory of God as we seek to obey Him. In uh, John 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him i'll manifest myself to him now in, in that context this is talking about this initial manifestation by giving uh, believers the holy spirit but that holy spirit remains in us as believers and as we continue to obey that manifestation continues to happen in our hearts and in our lives i think of uh, the first three fruits of the spirit galatians 5 22 that for the fruit of the spirit is love joy, 
peace. Those are attitudes and emotions that come from beholding God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the love of God. We, we have that in our hearts because we are obeying God. Whoever keeps my commandments, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I've got more examples, but I'm going to, to skip a little bit. On the other hand, okay, this isn't another point, but th this point is true, that obeying will empower your beholding, but guess what disobeying does? Disobeying doesn't ruin your salvation. None of this, by the way, is to earn your salvation. It's simply to behold and enjoy the glory of God. But I will tell you, disobeying God, walking in patterns of, of disobedience, unrepentant, not making war against your sin will hinder, it will disrupt your ability to behold the glory of God. Have you ever wondered why one sin leads to another? You ever wonder that? Like you commit one sin, then all of a sudden another sin, then all of a sudden another sin. Before you know it, you're like, man, how did I get here? I got to recommit my life, you know, whatever. Here, here's why, because obeying is what empowers more beholding of God. And as we saw in the last point, beholding enables obedience. So when you stop obeying, you stop beholding. And then when you're not beholding, you're stopping obeying. And so the cycle works backward. The, the snowball uh, rolls both ways, if you will. Um, you obey, you'll behold even more of God's glory. You disobey, you'll behold less. And that will lead to more disobedience. Uh, I see this, by the way, in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 1 Peter 4, 7, so the next chapter. To the, en the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be so self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And I would just say, prayer really should be a glory-beholding experience as we make requests of, thank, and talk to the God of the universe. But in both of those verses, we see that not walking in obedience to God ruins intimacy and ruins our ability to behold what should otherwise uh, be there in prayer to God. It's a wonderful thing that we can have intimacy with God, but walking in sin ruins that intimacy in the same way it does in a friendship. You're sinning against your friend, you can, you're not going to have that same intimacy. You're not going to have that same experience of one another. This happens in a marriage for sure. You're, you're sinning against one another, you're not going to have that same intimacy, and it's, it's, it's the same with us and God. I think again of uh, another example is, is David. Um, David had his sin with Bathsheba. It's another man's wife, and when uh, she gets pregnant, he has her husband killed in, 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 uh, in, uh, in war. He has him go forward, then has everyone else pull back. And he, he doesn't repent of that for quite some time. He kind of lives in this sinful state. Ha, I got away with it, because he quickly marries Bathsheba right afterwards. So no one, no one knows, everyone knows, by the way, but in his mind... No one knows what I've done, and I, I, I'm good. Psalm 32, he's speaking in retrospect, in, in hindsight. He says, 
Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, that is not confessing and repenting his sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So interesting. Your, God's hand was heavy upon him. Not, not glad upon him, not this experiential, intimate relationship, not this life-giving, beholding of the glory of God. Your hand was heavy on me, and I was, I was groaning. He says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I think about that in comparison to all the scriptures that speak about us as being like trees that are, that are fed and nourished by the glory of God. Psalm 1, you know, blessed is the man who... I'll skip ahead. Uh, del- his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, who will bear fruit in its even in due season, and his leaf will not wither. That's what happens when you're beholding the glory of God. You've, you've got this life-giving filling in you, but when you're walking in sin, your bones waste away and you dry up as in the heat of summer. Your, your strength is dried up as in the heat of summer. And this is why, by the way, Paul says in Psalm 51, reflecting on the very same sin, 51 verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's been taken away. That that intimacy is gone, that beholding of his glory is gone. Why? Because of his sin. So now he has to cry out, God, I'm miserable without the joy of your salvation. Without the joy of intimacy, relationship with you. Without beholding your glory, please restore that joy. And so, I've got this at the very end. I've got to, I've got to, don't read this next point. I've got to skip through it. This is how I think of my life. You are feeding into one of two buckets. You have the God bucket and the sin bucket, or the sin trash can if you'd like. Uh, the God bucket leads to joy. Obedience to God, glad obedience to God, is going to feed into joy in your life. It, by the way, may not be momentary. Obedience to God may bring immediate pain, immediate discomfort, immediate boredom. Sin, on the other hand, you can, every time, take it to the bank, it will lead to misery. The Bible, by the way, says it leads to death, but I chose misery uh, because we as Christians, we're, we're, we're not going to still face this spiritual death, but we'll certainly face the misery of sin. Now, on the other hand, this is, this is the, the problem. We know that, that feeding into that sin bucket, oh, it's going to be good, just for a minute though. It's going to be momentarily satisfying, but it will wither away. It is not enduring, and what, what happens once that, that, that high is gone? Misery. We are miserable. Our bones ache within us. Our our strength is dried up. And so, this is what you need to think about as as you live your life, truly. This is faith in the fact that God will continue to reveal His glory to you so that you can continue to behold it, continue to enjoy it, that you're making a decision with your life each and every moment. You're tempted to sin, to do something sinful. What am I going to choose? Am I going to choose to feed into the joy bucket that may be momentarily disappointing because I don't get to do this sinful thing? Or am I going to feed into the, the, the misery bucket? Yeah, it'll be good for a second, but it will fade. This joy bucket, by the way, it, I mean, you're just, 
you're doing it with this hope, this understanding that there will be deep joy, deep satisfaction, overwhelming, all-surpassing satisfaction in God. And I'm, I'm either going to feed into that bucket or into the misery bucket. This is our lives. Jesus says in John 15, verses 10 and 11, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I love that Jesus doesn't just say, so that you'll have joy. This is a manifestation of the glorious joy of God that will be in you as you obey him. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Then he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy, the joy of the God of the universe, the joy of God the Son who took on flesh, died in our place, and rose to resurrected, glorified life, his joy will be in you, that your joy may be this is what happens with obedience. We're, we're, we're making our decisions all day, every day. We have to believe, we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. And He is. You can, every time. I'm telling you, I, I've never regretted feeding into the, the God bucket, the joy bucket. Never have. I just have never said, man, I shouldn't have done that good thing. It's never, never occurred to me. I have always, I mean, my sinful flesh probably just forgets some of my sin, and so I don't end up regretting it, but I always regret feeding into the bucket of misery every time. Again, that high is there for a moment. Oh, that was cool. And then two seconds later, why would I do that? We believe. This is by faith, by the way. This is faith. Faith saves us. This is by grace. Through faith you are saved, and this is by faith that we continue in obedience. If I do this, I will see God. I will taste God. And this is exalting God as the highest treasure that we would be willing to lay down the pleasures of sin for the superior satisfaction of God. That, that brings God glory. And so that actually now shifts to my last point. Glad obedience reflects glory. I use that word reflective. We behold the glory of God. We behold it. We see it. We're transformed by it. Our hearts are transformed by it. And we are so impressed by it that we live differently. We live as though God is great. We live as though God is loving. We live as though God is worthy to be obeyed in a glad way. And that reflects God's glory to the people around us. In the same way the moon reflects the light of the sun... We reflect the glory of God to people around us. It is not our glory. It is us simply living in light of his glory. And other people see that and they get to behold that glory as well and say, I want that. That doesn't happen, in my opinion, very well with uh, begrudging obedience, right? Duty bound. Well, I, God says I, I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. That's more like following a drill sergeant, an angry drill sergeant, than a loving, kind father. Than a shepherd who wants to lead you uh, to green pastures and by still waters. We've got to be careful about how we obey before the world. I mean, we've got to be careful all the time. It should be a glad obedience. 
Because I would say the world doesn't have a category for this glad obedience. You don't get to do the thing you want to do because of God and you're glad about it. You're still happy, you're still joyful, and it doesn't bother you. I mean, you might be slightly disappointed, but you know that there's something greater. This reflects the glory of God. It reflects the worth of God because you desire to behold and enjoy His glory more than doing this sinful thing, whatever pleasure it may give. And again, this is all through the, the Bible. I'll just give you a few examples. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is the unsaved people, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They, they see the glory of God reflected in your life. They behold it. And then that first thing, obedience, beholding, um, enables obedience. They, they, they can see it. They see it in your life. They see the evidence of God's goodness in your life. I see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Matthew 5, 14 and 16. Again, you're probably likely familiar with this. You, Christian, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is my desire that we reflect the glory of God. Obeying God helps us to behold more of His glory. And the more of His glory we behold, the more we are transformed into the same image, right? That's uh, chapter 3, 18. And that allows us to reflect, to, to show his glory. Again, as the sun reflects the, the, the light of the, or sorry, the moon reflects the light of the sun, so we reflect the glory of God to those around us. I actually want to make this as practical for you as possible. Anytime, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you from my own life, anytime I have a non Christian ask me to join in a sinful activity, this is kind of how I respond. I, I say, no thanks. I love Jesus, and that's not something he wants me to do, so I don't want to do it. I just add in, that in. I love Jesus. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's maybe helpful. Like, I, I want to I serve Jesus. I want to I live for Jesus, and, and that's not something he wants me to do, but no thanks. Or, if I can tell the other person is weirded out by me sharing the gospel with them. It happens, by the way, that people get weirded out. <laughs> it's all good. Here's, here's what I say. I say, I know this is awkward, but, but Jesus is so good, and this is the best news ever, so I just love sharing it with people. I tell them, I know this is awkward, but Jesus is so good that I don't care. That's glad obedience. You see that? No, I, I, I can't do this sinful thing with you because I love Jesus, and, and, and I, I want to uh, enjoy him. And uh, yeah, I'm doing this act of obedience by sharing my faith with you, and it's awkward but he's just so good, it, it's all right. 
I get to see him work in your life. You may get to accept him. I probably wouldn't go that in depth with them, but I, I tell people, I tell people um, that I'm glad to obey God so that they can see my good deeds, not as just duty, but as delight in the all-satisfying God of glory. So what relationship does obedience have to beholding? Well, number one we saw, beholding enables glad obedience. This is a grace of God. He makes the first move. He draws us to Him. He reveals His glory, opens our, our eyes, our dead eyes, our blind eyes, to see His glory. And from that, we gladly obey Him. And then that continues in our lives. And that obeying, number two, actually empowers more, increased beholding. On the other hand, disobedience dulls our ability to perceive his glory and find our delight in him. And then we saw glad obedience reflects the glory of God to those ar around us. This is what we're called to. This is what we were created for, to behold his glory and to reflect it to the world around us. And obedience is not the means of our salvation. We cannot earn it. But obedience does play a part in our ability to do what we have been created to do. Um, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's you if you trusted in Jesus. You've been crucified but you're alive, Christ is living in you, and this life that you now live, you live by faith in this wonderful, glorious Son. And so as we bow our heads in prayer here in just a moment, and as uh, Dave will play, Pastor Dave will pray in just a moment, I want to urge you, don't hold on to your sin. In fact, you can, you can bow your heads now, and I'm just going to kind of talk with you for a moment. Dave, you want to? Thank you. I want God to bring to your attention whatever sin you're holding on to, whatever sin you're protecting in your life. And, and I'm, I'm urging you now to see that that sin is keeping you from enjoying this God of glory. And it's certainly keeping you from reflecting His glory to those around you, but... It is not worth it. That is the bucket of misery. So during this time, re repent of that. And then maybe see also, what things has God called me to do that I am not currently doing? These works of obedience won't, aren't to earn God's love, to earn His favor that's already fully yours in Christ Jesus. But, but if God's commanded you to share the gospel, if God's commanded you to give generously, if God's commanded you to, to meet together with, with one another, and I mean that even outside of the church, are we walking in obedience? I believe God will lead you in this time of prayer to what you need to repent of, to put off, and what to take up, and let the motivation for it all be to find your satisfaction, your joy, your hope, and beholding more of His glory. Dave, you can go ahead and lead us in, in song. a moment just to remember.